And all the people said, Amen. 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 I want you to turn with me to two or three, maybe four little short verses of Scripture that sets the stage for the sermon this morning. One of them is found in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It'll be followed by another reference in Mark. That'll be followed by a reference in Luke, and that one will be followed by a reference in Acts. So get your fingers walking through the Bible pages, all right? Mark chapter 8, number 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, in the same book, Mark, the next chapter, number 9, Verse number 12. Mark 9, verse number 12. It is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. And then in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, Verse 22, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse number 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. The final one is in Acts, chapter number 3, verse number 18. Book of Acts, chapter number 3, verse number 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. I want to speak on the sufferings of Christ. I want to preach on that for the next three Sundays. The sufferings, this is a series on the sufferings of Christ. The scripture says he'll suffer many things. It was set forth in the Old Testament prophets that Christ the Messiah would experience a life of suffering. In Isaiah chapter number 53, which is the gospel in the Old Testament, verses 3 through 7, Isaiah is describing the coming Messiah. And concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 700 years later, Isaiah said in verse number 3 and following, through verse 7. He is despised. Now, you know, it wouldn't be too badly just to say he's disliked. 
But that's not what the Scripture said. He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Those four references that I gave you, and asked that you turn to them, each one a verse of scripture, Mark 8.31, Mark 9.12, Luke 9.22 tells us that Christ would suffer many things, not occasional things, but he would suffer many things. And Acts 3.18 was written after the death of and resurrection of Christ. And it tells us that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those sufferings. We have in our hymn book a hymn written by Philip Bliss who wrote of this very thing. It's called Man of Sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let me ask you a question. What do you suppose would be listed as the crime of all ages? Ever since the world was established and people began to live on this earth and all the histories involved, what would you consider to be the crime of all crimes? The crime of all ages. It would not be the murder of Abel by Cain though that was a terrible thing indeed. Abel offered an offering to the Lord. It was accepted. Cain offered an offering to the Lord, and it was not accepted. And Cain, out of jealousy, took a shovel and smacked it into the head of his brother Abel and killed him. And Abel's blood gushed out onto the ground and Cain took Abel and buried him. That's a terrible thing. A terrible thing. But that's not the crime of all ages. It would not be the rape of Bathsheba by David. 
What a terrible thing that was. He took the only wife that Uriah had and claimed her for his own for a night's pleasure. And then he had Uriah murdered so he could take her to be his wife. That's a dirty, dirty thing to do. But it would not be the crime of ages. It would not be the slaughter of innocence by Herod. Do you remember when the wise men who were looking for a sign indicating where Christ would be born, and they came and they saw Herod, they said, tell us, where is this Christ to be born King of kings and Lord of lords? And as a result, Herod put forth an edict that his Roman armies would go out into the neighborhoods and take all of the male baby boys two years old and under, and kill every one of them. And the scripture in another place says the slaughter was so great, there was a cry from the women and the mothers throughout the land that could be heard everywhere. That was a terrible, rotten thing to do. But that's not the crime of the ages. More currently, it would not be the slaughter of more than 50 million souls by the Roman Catholic Church during the Middle Ages. What a terrible thing that was. But it's not the crime of the ages. I believe the crime of all ages would have to be the sufferings of Jesus Christ. The sufferings of Jesus Christ. His sufferings during his life and his sufferings at his death. And I say that because he was the only person to live on the earth without committing one wrong or one sin. He never hurt anybody. He never mistreated anybody. He was never unhateful. And unkind at any time. He spent his life helping others. Whether it was raising the dead, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers. It was always a life of giving to others. And yet no man ever suffered. No man ever suffered like our Lord suffered. And not one time did he ever strike back. Or try to get even. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that to be the crime of the ages. In this series of messages, I want to focus on the sufferings of Jesus Christ for his people. And if the Lord enable me, there will be three messages. I know that there are four Sundays in December. We have a guest coming to be with us on December the 19th. You'll want to be here to hear him preach. You don't want to miss that. I want you to go ahead and make an appointment right now in your book. Some things you can just miss, but don't miss that. But nonetheless, I still have three Sundays in December. I want to speak to you on the sufferings of Christ. The earlier sufferings of Christ. The earlier sufferings of Christ. Those sufferings he endured before he ever went to Calvary. And second of all, the physical aspect of his final suffering on the cross. 
And number three, the spiritual aspect of his suffering on the cross. Let's look at the earlier sufferings of Christ. Once again, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. The scripture says, Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Christ, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, not just whimpering, but with strong, when the Lord prayed, he strongly shed tears. And he offered up supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. We make a mistake if we think that the sufferings of Christ did not begin until Calvary. We make a big mistake when we think that Jesus lived a normal life and everybody liked him and got along with everybody and so forth. And it was not until Calvary that he really began to suffer. That's not so. Our Lord lived some 33 years on this earth and most of that time it was characterized by suffering, suffering, suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. This does not mean he learned to do right by being punished for his wrongdoings. He suffered not for anything wrong that he did. For he did no wrong. But all of his suffering was always because of somebody else. Somebody else. He grew up in abject poverty. Now, if you eat one or two meals a day and have a roof over your head, and you're rich compared to what our Lord Jesus was before going to the cross. He grew up in abject poverty. Let me call out a few things. Number one, he is born in a stable. They said, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? No, it's not pretty good. It didn't happen to you. Just just say, you were getting ready to have a baby, and you went to one of our local hospitals and said, I'm about to be time for my delivery. I I need a place. They said, well, every bed's taken and every room's filled. But I'll tell you what, about five miles down the road by an old oak tree is a barn. Why don't you go down there and get in that barn and have your baby? Huh? It'd make a little difference, don't you think? He had no place to call home, constantly traveling, morning, noon, and night. He had no wardrobe. As far as we know, the only thing he wore was a robe, and that robe was made by his mother Mary. That's all he had. He had no shelter. He had no pillow on which to lay his head. I sometimes think of that when I watch the pillow guy on television. i never seen so many pillows before in my life. The Lord didn't have one pillow. 
You know, it's easy for us to listen about the hardships of others. But when it starts digging in the flesh of where you live, it makes a difference. He had to borrow a colt to ride on to go, to go into Jerusalem. When he died, he died on another man's cross. The cross he died on belonged to Barabbas. It was designed for Barabbas. He died on another man's cross. He was buried in another man's tomb. He didn't have any pre-funeral arrangements made. And he had no place to be buried. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man and offered his grave plot as a place for Christ to be buried. You know, there is a suffering that goes with poverty. Never having enough to eat. To have to go to bed at night still hungry, not knowing where you're going to have anything to eat for breakfast or not. Had no clothes to wear. Having to constantly do without. That type of thing produces pain and hurt inside. Humiliation. He grew up in abject Poverty. Number two, he was subject to constant verbal abuse. I, I did not know whether to ask you to turn to these or not. I'll give you the reference because you may doubt that it's in the Bible. In John chapter 8 verse 41, the Lord Jesus was called a bastard. Hello? Oh, by the way, I suggest if you have a little time and you're bored with living, look in the dictionary for the word bastard and read what the definition is. In John chapter 8, verse number 41, the Bible says, You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father. Even God. The implication is, oh, we we have pure blood, but no, you were a bastard. Hey, there's another name for that. It's called a dirty SOB. They called him that. I've never been a big person physically. I found out a long time ago if you run from trouble, you don't get beat up near as much. But if there's anything that really did bother me in school was some kid smart mouth and calling me a son of a... That's a terrible thing. They call the Lord Jesus that. Suffering. He was accused of drunkenness and gluttony in Matthew chapter 11 verse 19. I'll not take the time to read them for you, but in Matthew eleven nineteen, he was accused of drunkenness and gluttony. Number three, he was called a common criminal in John 18, verse 30. They called him a malefactor. And that was the lowest form of criminality that one could possibly live in. He was implied to be a liar and a hypocrite. We're talking about the Son of God who created the heavens and the earth being called these names. He was called a sinner. 
in John chapter 9, verse number 24. He was called a blasphemer in Matthew chapter 26, verse 65. And he was even accused of having a demon in John 8, verse number 48. He was subject to constant verbal abuse, bad-mouthing. I believe that verbal abuse is worse than physical abuse. I know it's bad when one person beats up on another. But my dear friends, it seems to go deeper than physical abuse. That is verbal abuse. Being chewed out day after day after day and called every name in the world. After a while, it does a little bit of something to you. Many people have been assassinated by the unruly tongue. There are many people in the graveyard today that couldn't take it any longer. Of course, you don't have to worry about that because you never experienced that. But I'm telling you, there are hundreds of thousands of people all over our world who are verbally abused every day of their life. Not only was he subject to constant verbal abuse, we're talking about the sufferings of Christ, the earlier sufferings, before he ever went to the cross. He was stalked and terrorized. The enemy would follow him round about to trick him up. The chief rulers and the Pharisees were constantly trying to kill him. We need to think of the inward pain and anguish that this would cause. Every time the Pharisees and Sadducees talked to him, they asked him a loaded question. Either way you answer it is going to be wrong. They did their best to make him look like a fool. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered many things. He was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Who was Judas? He was an apostle. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was treasurer of the church. And everything that Christ did. Judas was always there. And all of a sudden Judas dropped out. And went to the Pharisees. And sold the Lord out for 30 pieces. You say well that wouldn't matter. That's because it didn't happen to you. Judas led the Pharisees to arrest Christ. And you know what he did when he entered that garden? He walked over to where Christ had been praying and he put his mouth on the cheek of Christ and he kissed him. And you know how the Lord responded to that? You sorry, ungodly outfit. You ought to go to hell. No. Jesus said, friend... Look it up, friend. He was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. He suffered at Lazarus' funeral. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Have you ever... And by the way, the Greek word there is not just shedding an occasional tear. It meant he cried out. 
Why would he cry out at the funeral of Lazarus? Because of such things like the two dearest friends he had. Lazarus was dead, Mary and Martha. And when he came into town, Mary and Martha met him. Martha met him first and she said, Lord, if you hadn't been dragging your feet, if you'd gotten here on time, my brother had not died. And when she finished saying that, Mary came on the scene and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother had not died. And in the background, the mourning Jews, and some of them were paid to attend the funeral so they could mourn and dress it up a little bit. They said, well, if this man was really the Messiah, he wouldn't have let this thing happen. And the next verse said, Jesus wept. Broke his heart. He suffered many things. He was denied three times by Simon Peter. Oh, by the way, this is a Simon to whom Christ said, Whom say that I the Son of Man am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet when Christ was being tried, Peter was outside by a fire. And a little Jewish maid walked up. She said, I know who you are. You're one of his followers. And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. Not only did he deny the Lord one time, he denied the Lord three times and then began to curse. I don't know him. Has a little bit of effect on you, does it not? And then he suffered in Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 and following, give you just somewhat of a bird's eye view of what our Lord faced in that setting of Luke chapter number 22, beginning with verse number 39. He came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. He was a stone's throw, withdrawn about a stone's throw. And he kneeled down and he began praying, saying, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. You know why he strengthened him? Because he was exhausted. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Listen, dear church. His sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And he rose up from prayer and he came to his disciples. Oh, those are the twelve men that will really stand by you when you're in trouble, you see. He found them asleep and sorrowful. He said, why sleep you? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he yet spake a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And on and on it goes all night long. He suffered in Gethsemane. He was arrested as a common criminal. He was falsely accused and illegally tried. 
He was taken before the Sanhedrin while it was still dark, totally unheard of, and illegal. He faced six trials as the sun was trying to come up. Three of those trials were civil trials. Three of them were ecclesiastical trials. He appeared before Caiaphas and Annas and appeared before the Sanhedrin. Those were the ecclesiastical trials. The civil trials, he appeared before Pilate and then he appeared before Herod and back again to Pilate. False witnesses were brought in to lie on him. And then he was delivered by Pilate to be crucified. In John chapter number 19, John's gospel chapter number 19, The scripture says, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. You see, these Jews wanted to kill him, but the Roman government would not allow them to do that. Now, they could prosecute wrongdoings by brother Jews and other people like that, but they could not serve the death penalty. They were forbidden to do that. So they brought him to Pilate. And when they brought him to Pilate, the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. That's one of the most humiliating things I've ever heard of in my life for a man to walk up to a woman and to slap her in the face. Pilate therefore went forth, said to them, Behold, I bring him forth that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. He was man to be sure, but dear friends, he was more than man. He was the God-man. The chief priests therefore and officers saw him. They cried out saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. And you check with the other gospel writers. They said it over and over. They began to chant it. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, you take him and crucify him. I don't find any fault in him. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more afraid. And it goes on down in verse number 12. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement 
but in the Hebrew it's called Gabbatha. It was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. How would you like to have this group on your jury in a trial? Away with him, away with him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they led him away. From the day he was born until the day he went to the cross, he suffered and he suffered and he suffered. And he suffered, and he suffered the sufferings of Christ. Next time you and I think we're having a difficult time of it, that people aren't treating us fairly, and we're having to do things we'd rather not have to do, and we begin to gripe and complain about how difficult it is. I'm having such a... Whenever you begin to think like that, Think about the sufferings of Christ. And he never opened his mouth. He never said, I object. He never said, I am innocent. He suffered internally. Suffered. He suffered. He suffered. All Judea and Jerusalem consented to have him crucified in spite of all the good that he had done for the people. Actually, what they were saying is, we don't want you, we don't love you, and we want to get rid of you. We wish you were dead, and they meant it. Who'd you do that for? He did not do it for himself. For he knew no sin, but he did it for his own elect, his own people, his own that he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Why are you preaching on something like that today? Because we get so wrapped up in the burial. No, no. Opposite. We get so wrapped up in the birth of Christ with all the Christmas carols and all the shopping and all the running about and all the doing and all the parties. Pause a little this December, would you? And give some thought to the sufferings of Jesus Christ before he ever went to Calvary. I'll not ask you to stand. I'll ask you to bow your heads as we pray.